Welcome back to the Get Out of Debt podcast with your debt expert, Steve Rode. Steve is an expert in helping people get out of debt and assist people for free with advice and guidance through his site at getoutofdebt.org. If you have a debt issue you'd like to have him answer, just visit getoutofdebt.org and submit your question online. Welcome back. This is Steve Rode with getoutofdebt.org, and with me again is Damon Day from damonday.com. D-A-M-O-N-D-A-Y.com. Uh, Damon, I made it through the introduction. Yes, you did. Yeah. So listen, you know, we usually start the show with, you know, what you have for lunch. We've been doing that kind of for a couple of weeks. But uh, it's kind of been a bitch of a day for me. And right before I stepped away, before we did the recording, you told me that you were actually sipping on a Sam Adams. And I need to let people know that I'm on the East Coast and you're on the West Coast. And East Coast time right now when we're recording this is 8.21 p.m. So it's, you know, it's after work for you. You're having a little beer. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to see what's in the fridge. So I got myself a uh, Mick Ultra. So I'm going to sip on that. Okay. okay. Well, you should, should let readers know I'm, I'm not drunk and I'm not a drinker. I'm just in terrible back pain, so I thought I would grab the only thing that we had in the house, which was a beer, which I typically don't drink. Yes, I, I will let our podcast listeners know, as you call them, the readers. Is that what I call them? <laughs> I, well, that's because I don't have a podcast. I just, you know, I, I'm a hack with a laptop. And I just have readers. Yeah, yeah when, when you do an audio thing like a podcast, they become listeners all of a sudden. Oh, okay, I'll have to make a note of that It's one. crazy how that happens, I know. <laughs> so, we're back this week again talking about... Well, credit and debt. So I wanted to talk about this whole thing about the attorney model in debt settlement. You know, you, you hear all these companies running for cover saying, well, we're going to uh, avoid all sorts of regulation, and we're going to start an attorney model, and we're going to put an attorney out front, and that attorney is going to be exempt from a lot of the state laws. But the reality is, if you're an attorney and you're committing fraudulent acts, you are going to get your ass sued. You can get disbarred. As uh, uh, attorney Brennan in Maryland did, he got his ass thrown in jail for debt settlement. So the attorney model is a little bit of a fictitious statement by people that appear to be running for cover and don't quite know what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, what I, I'm always very fond of saying, it's it's just a different bow on the same box of crap. They're just trying to figure out a way to skirt the laws so they can keep the status quo and just continue bilking consumers out of thousands of dollars by not providing any legitimate help is really what it boils down to in most cases. And while these uh, groups think that the attorney model is going to be their savior, because what they're thinking is that attorneys are going to be exempt from a lot of state laws and regulations that prohibit the upfront collection of uh, advance fees or um, money that they think that is going to be regulated out of existence by the Federal Trade Commission when they finally, whenever that is soon, come out with these regulations. Now, the, the funny thing is that even if an attorney collects money up front, they get around the law and they can c collect money up front, now you got the whole problem with fee splitting. You know, an attorney cannot divide money that they get amongst themselves and non-attorneys. And so this whole thing that the attorney model is going to be the panacea and the savior for debt settlement is not well thought out on not well thought out on many levels. 
Yeah, and you know the, the main thing is these guys are trying to to change the argument, and and when you break it right down, the bottom line is a a front loaded fee structure is bad for consumers. It puts consumers at a major disadvantage and hurts consumers a lot more than it helps. And what these guys are trying to argue is that a front-loaded fee model essentially creates the potential for abuse is what they're trying to argue. So they're trying to say, well, if it's if a front-loaded fee model is in the hands of somebody that's, you know, benevolent or just in it for consumers, mm-hmm. then that's okay, but we have to get rid of these few bad actors that are in the industry and if you have an attorney that's running this, which is usually not true, usually the attorney is there and basically a name only, but their argument is, well, an attorney is licensed and they have to hold a higher standard and whatever on that. <laughs> and, and and their argument is that, well, if it's in the hands of somebody that's not trying to screw consumers, the model is not a bad thing. It's just it could be bad or misused in the hands of people that are looking to do harm. And that's the flaw in their argument. You know, uh, this article that I wrote, uh, The Critical Flaw in the Attorney Model for Debt Settlement, as I was writing it, uh, these names just kept popping into my head of attorneys that have been in trouble over debt settlement over the last six months. And I'm looking through this article now. If you want to see the article, it's uh, getoutofdebt.org slash 20474. Getoutofdebt.org slash 20474. So I'm looking at this article now. And I talk about uh, these attorneys, Richard Brennan, debt settlement in the state of Maryland, guys in jail. Andy Nelms had his debt settlement practice, attorney, had his debt settlement practice taken over by the state of Alabama. He has subsequently gone bankrupt. Laura Hess, attorney, had her practice taken over by the state of Florida, her, her debt settlement practice. And I think that she went bankrupt. I'm not quite sure. Bruce Atherton, a guy that was running a debt relief company, uh, out of Indiana, and he uh, was just sentenced to 10 months in jail for uh, financial fraud. And this guy, Brian Columbana, out of California, who's doing loan modifications, guy just got disbarred. So it's not like the attorney model is going to protect consumers. Unfortunately, it seems like the only thing that's going to happen is attorneys are going to go to jail or they're going to lose their license. Well, yeah, and, and, and again, it goes back to the fact that a, a front-loaded fee structure is a flawed model. It doesn't help consumers, so regardless of who's running it, that, that's why you have all this regulation coming down because there's all this abuse by using this model from companies that are abusive on purpose and companies that don't even really know what they're doing, but they're just using this model, and they don't maybe even understand how they're hurting consumers because the bottom line is that if a, if a debt settlement company is using a model that essentially says, hey, look, we need to collect most or all of our fees before we really provide the service, thereby pushing out the settlements further down the road and putting the client at greater risk of getting sued, there's no financially justifiable reason that you could defend that. I mean, there's, there's no argument that I've seen that can show how a front-loaded fee model is either beneficial at all for consumers or creditors, which are the two entities that debt settlement is supposed to help. So if a, if a, if a business is using a front-loaded fee model, whether it's an attorney model or not, by definition, it has to be one of two things. Either A, that company is financially ignorant and really has no concept or idea about how debt settlement actually works or what you need to do to actually help people, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be in business if that's the case. Or option number two, 
they know it it hurts people, but they care more about making money than they do about helping people, which should also mean they're out of business as well. So when these regulations are coming down, they're trying to ban this upfront, you know, front-loaded fee structure to put both of those kind of people out of business. And and that's why I'm for the advanced fee ban. And it doesn't matter who's doing it. They could try to skirt the law. But if anybody is pushing for a front-loaded fee structure, it's because they don't know what the hell they're doing or because they don't care about helping their clients. There's no other option. I was reading, uh, I think it was one of the trade groups today, there was a message that they had put out that they're working hard to protect consumers, they're working hard on legislation, (laughs) and uh, uh, they want to make sure that they change the regulations so that all of the fees are collected only in the first half of the program. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what I'm saying. It's like... it, it's just so frustrating to me that they go out there and they do this, this smoke and mirrors magic act where it's like, you know, pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain. We're going to give you some window dressing fluff and wow you about how we're doing all these great things for consumers. But behind the scenes, or not even so much behind the scenes, but we're going to be pushing against consumer protection regulations because that hurts our bottom line or the bottom lines of our member companies. But we're going to put out some press releases to make ordinary consumers think we're actually on their side. You know, it's almost like somebody who runs around stabbing people saying that they're offering them a benefit because they're helping blood to flow freely. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, the, the associations at this point are a complete joke. You, you see the increased, um, you know, press releases and all this, you know, flurry of activity on their part in the last couple of months because they, they realize they're irrelevant. They realize everybody knows they're a joke and they're just fighting to stay relevant and and keep the cash coming into the coffers and they really don't know what to do. So they put out these BS press releases like, uh, you know, didn't you, you wrote a story about, uh, about one, um, this morning, which I found quite comical. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, they put out the two trade groups, task and Usoba put out a joint press release that looks like Usoba paid the bill for it. But anyway, the joint press release says, you know, all those bad actors out there that are, uh, lying to consumers and, and giving them the wrong messages for debt settlement. They're persuading them to get into programs that might be government-backed. Anyway, the two trade, trade groups were such great guys. We got together and we shut down this site. And the site is called federalreliefprogram.com. And I don't know what made me think about it, but I wanted to just look into the background of this website. Um, actually, oh, I know what it was. I wanted to see if one of the uh, trade association members had actually owned it. And what I found was very surprising because I found that apparently nobody owned that domain name. The site had never been up. There was no online record of that, that domain name ever being used for a site. So the, the most that I can figure out from this press release, and it's not like they typed the name of the website wrong. I think it was in their press release like three or four times. But, the, but apparently they sent out a press release bragging about how they shut down a deceptive site that never existed. Yeah, and you know, so this is wrong on so many levels. I mean, number one, at this point, we don't even know if there was just a simple mistake and they grabbed the wrong website and put it in there four times, you know, just when it was, you know, going to print or whatever. So we don't know if this was deception on purpose, which would be absolutely idiotic to pick a site that never even existed. Um, or, but even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, and let's say this was a site that existed and, and, and likely, obviously, probably not one of their members. But what's the motivation all of a sudden to put out this press release when they're pushing 
um, you know, the, this front uh, pushing against this front loaded uh, fee ban and saying how it's imperative that we're able to do this, which is clearly harmful to consumers. But at the same time, because the regulators, I don't even think bother to listen to them anymore. Now they're putting out this press release about they're such the saviors and the champion of the consumer because they found this apparently, if it exists, deceptive website and they work together to get it shut down. Well, what I mean, isn't that what they're supposed to do anyway? I mean, why are they having to put out these press releases about look at this great work that we did and, and basically pat themselves on the shoulder in the public eye right now? I mean, could it be because they're afraid they're becoming irrelevant quickly? Well, they weren't all that worried when their member agencies were listed in the uh, GAO report from the Capitol Hill hearings of offering information that was not correct. I mean, none of those people got shut down. Well, no, I think what they did was they defended their members. I, I don't remember the exact terminology they were using, but they were essentially saying it was rigged and the, the GAO, um, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what they said, but they essentially were implying that it was an unfair practice and, you know, the, the, the GAO was not giving them a fair shake or something to that effect. Well, even if uh, it just seems like we always beat up on debt settlement, and, and uh, believe me, there are going to be new topics coming down the road. This is just the topic of the day, or, or of the uh, 2010. It's going to it's going to uh, diminish within the next 12 months. We're going to be talking about some other bullshit thing happening, but um, it seems like uh, there's been a lot of focus on debt settlement. The trade associations have not gotten the message you need to stop this advanced fee model and move on to something else because just recently the uh, new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, passed as part of legislation and I understand that the, the president is going to sign it in two days into law and under that new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, there is going to be the ability for that bureau to regulate Yes, even attorneys who offer debt settlement services. So the window on this attorney model is closing all around. And I think, you know, the end is near for many of these agencies who are raking in the bucks because they're not going to be able to do that much longer. Yeah, and, and you know, the reason we spend so much time on, on debt settlement is because right now, by far, I think, debt settlement co companies are causing the most damage to consumers. They're mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. And most of these companies are complete BS. And, you know, I, I hear the stories every day. I do, I do consults with clients every day that have signed up in these BS programs and six months later or so realized um, this was not what I signed up for. Now I've lost thousands of dollars. Now I'm behind the eight ball. Now can you help me get out of this? And, you know, they just make it worse. Ninety nine percent of the times times uh, you sign up with a program like this in six months, your situation will be much worse. And the only thing you'll have to show for it is uh, plenty of fees that you pay to this debt settlement company. And that's why I spent so much time on it, just because, you know, the, the CCCS programs, DMP programs, you know, they're largely regulated. And, you know, there's not much. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It is what it is. Well, they had their um, day. What was that? They had their day. I mean, they're. There was a period of time, I think now about five or six years ago, where the credit counseling programs were under as severe an attack as the debt settlement programs are now. Yeah, ex exactly. And like, like you mentioned, um, you know, as these regulations come out and most of these guys scatter like rats from a sinking ship, which they will, um, because there's not going to be as you know, easy upfront money in this thing anymore, 
then it'll become less and less important for us to talk about it because they'll be, you know, hurting, you know, a, a much smaller group of consumers. But the, the biggest thing is, especially right now, I've got this big push to warn people about these programs um, because now is the worst time to be enrolling into one of these oh, front fee debt settlement programs because when this regulation comes down, you, you can't even make an argument that. In fact, the, the trade associations have even stated that 85% or so under their, their own numbers say that 85% of their comp member companies would be out of business if this passes, and this is going to pass. So you know, now it's more important than ever to pay attention to what you're doing and not sign up into these front-loaded fee programs because there's a really good chance that that program in the next 12 months that you sign up that front-loads their fees – will be out of business and your money will be with it. Yeah, and not only are they going to be out of business, but when they do go out of business, because they're going to have all these these legacy overhead costs that they can no longer afford, they're all going to go bankrupt. And of so uh, you are not going to get refunds back. So when, when if you're a debt settlement company right now and you front-loaded your fees and you know, you look ahead, and I mean, you, anybody can run the numbers. And you run the numbers and you realize that your legacy costs are way too high, that there's no way you could switch given your current model because most of these guys don't know how to run a business other than to charge people up front and then maybe provide the service later. Mm -hmm. But if you're a company like that and, and, and you know you've been ripping people off, so you're, you're, you've probably got questionable ethics and morals anyway, um, my argument is if you run a front-loaded fee debt settlement company, then you know your character is, is in question as far as I'm concerned, but that's just my opinion. But when you look at what these guys are doing and you look at how they're pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to come up with these just absolutely idiotic arguments about how front-loaded fees make a lot of sense, mm -hmm. the reason they're doing it is because you know it's checkmate for these guys. They know they're going to be out of business in a year or so. They know it. They absolutely know. You look at the numbers and either you can say, yes, we can make it or no, we can't. And if you say, yes, we can make it, they would be taking steps to change now. So the companies that aren't taking steps to change if they haven't been doing things right all along, those are the ones that are, in my opinion, they're rolling the dice. They're going for broke and they're going to say, ramp it up, make as much money as we can until the law passes and then we'll take what we've made and we'll split. That's well, what's going to happen. In fact, that's exactly what happened. Well, I guess it's been a month or two now since the Debt Settlement Consumer Protection Act was presented in Congress, and it looked like it might pass rather quickly. And so what did people do? They all backed off uh, buying leads and starting to sell because they thought their goose was cooked right then. And mm -hmm. as soon as it was clear that that act was not going to pass quickly, it, the, the quotes that came out were literally, uh, sell, 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 game on, let's get going again. Yeah, so if you're a consumer and you're in a debt settlement program, and, and, and let me define what front-loaded fees are real quick because a lot of people get confused because of slick salespeople that say, oh, we don't have any upfront fees. Our fees are just rolled into the monthly payment. And don't be fooled by that. When Steve and I are talking about front-loaded fees, what we're talking about is you've got a sales guy that sells you on some BS plan that's going to last four years and you're going to pay some small monthly payment for the next four years. And then you look at your fee schedule and you realize that all this money that the debt settlement company is going to charge is a fee – even though you're in this program for four years, they might collect that fee over 12 to 24 months. So within two years, you've paid out all of the money in fees, yet you still have two years worth of services. So the question is, where's the money going to come from for the final two years of your services? Yeah, it was a giant Ponzi scheme. 
people that were coming in today were paying for you that enrolled yesterday and that money was spent. So um, there's not going to be any money there to support you. It's it's game over. Exactly. Hey, hey let me read this. Uh, do you have a, a pen and paper handy? Because you're going to need to write down a couple of things. Um, yes. Okay. I'm going to read you this question that came to my site through getoutofdebt.org and see what you have to say about it. It's not too long. It's from Ray. Ray says, my wife and I have $80,000 in consumer debt. We would like to pay off the debt in three to five years by negotiating with the credit card companies to lower their interest rates and to possibly write off some of the debt. But we do not want to use a debt settlement company. Can you give us advice on strategies we could use when approaching our credit card companies to lower interest rates and possibly write off a portion of what we owe them? Are we being naive to think that we can do this ourselves? What do you have to say? Well, you know, I, I actually I, I get those kind of questions a lot. And, and the, the reality is, yes, you know, with the right information, anybody can negotiate with, with, with creditors. You don't have to hire a debt settlement company to do it for you. Um, but I, I always, I, I always refrain from just trying to give generic advice to the extent that I don't want to give somebody just enough advice to make them dangerous to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, but to answer the question, um, yeah, one of the key things that you have to do, and people you know don't like to hear this, but in this current environment, and this kind of stuff changes all the time, which is why you can't take advice that somebody may have gave two years ago and apply it to today. It might not be the same. This stuff can change, you know, sometimes month to month. Depending well, let's just on... talk about the current landscape. Okay, the current landscape. Um, in order to get the creditors to do anything, the reality is you can't be current on your payments. If yeah, you're so you've got to fall. Making payments. They're not going to work with you. Fall purposely behind, and that's going to hurt your credit, and you're going to wind up in collections. Now, yeah, which which is why I, I always hesitate to give people enough information to get themselves in trouble unless they have a complete understanding of the strategy and, and first of all, whether or not they're prepared for the potential ramifications of um, you know employing a strategy like that. Um, there are other options that they can look at um, prior to doing that, but to answer Ray's specific question, if he wants to negotiate interest rates with creditors or and or some principal – um, you can. My advice would be to give it a shot um, before you fall behind, knowing that you're probably not going to get anywhere. But some creditors you may. Also, you need to be very careful. If you have credit available that you're dependent on, uh, maybe you, you've, you're you're running a monthly deficit right now, and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and that's the only way you're able to survive. If you still have credit left, and you call your creditors for help, typically the help that you're going to get at that point in time is let's take away all of their credit they have available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's so, try to protect their risk. Exactly. So you need to make sure before you call for help, you don't need anything else from them because if you have anything available, they will typically take it. And and then once you once you do that, you figure out what what they're going to do if they'll do anything, and if what they'll do will not fit within your overall plan, um, then you're gonna ha- if you want to go further, you're gonna have to get behind either either out of necessity or you know um, on purpose in order to get into the department that you're going to need to be in to where they will even be open to negotiating. And the first thing they'll do is they'll want to negotiate interest rates for the first couple of months. They don't like to talk about any kind of principal negotiation for a while. So the, when the phone calls start coming within the first 30, 60 days of delinquency, um, the, the offers that they're going to be making and discussing, and all creditors are different now, they're not all the same, 
but typically what you're going to be finding is they might be willing to get on some kind of temporary internal hardship program. Some of them will even go to more of a permanent hardship program, maybe up to five years, but most of them will try to do something for, say, six months, and then they want to circle back. So Mm -hmm. before you do anything, you need to have an overall understanding of what your overall goals are and what the numbers are that you need to hit in order to make it to accomplish these goals. Yeah, you know, and, and, and at that point right there, you need to be able to plan that you're going to stick with this for a while or be able to save the money to settle the debt. Because starting an approach like this and discontinuing it after six months or eight months or whatever, before you actually resolve the debt, doesn't solve anything. It just puts you further behind and in a, in a worse position. And when we're talking about, you know what, people are going to listen and they're going to they're gonna hear you say, I have to fall behind on my debts first before the creditors will do anything. Now, it doesn't, doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to sound logical. It, that only exists because there is a policy and procedure gap at all the creditors that says if somebody is current, they don't get any special benefits. The only yeah. way you get a break is you have to demonstrate you can't pay the bill. Yeah, and that's and that's why I always refrain from you know trying to give just general advice because it's such a paradigm shift you know for most of us on how we've been raised and taught about money and credit and you have to pay your bills and you have to protect your FICO score and you you know it, it's such a paradigm shift for someone to say oh hey you want to negotiate stop paying your bills and then negotiate and it's it's a shock to most people's system which is why I usually don't like to just throw that kind of advice out there unless I have time to sit down with them talk about their mindset talk about their overall situation and get them to a place where they're mentally ready to accept that kind of advice. Because sometimes people are right there, they get it, they know, they've tried everything else, they know there's nothing else they can do. Other times people aren't mentally ready to hear that yet, and you have to kind of walk them through the scenario and take a look at reality with them. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, well, do you have enough money to pay the minimum payments next month? And they say, no, I don't. Okay, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Okay, so you can't pay the bills, right? Right. Well, you don't have a choice then, do you? No, but I'm afraid. I'm scared. Okay. Well, here's what the plan is going to be, knowing that within your financial reality, you can't afford to pay these bills. So these are the options that you have if you can't afford to pay those bills. And and, and now maybe at that point, they're ready to to accept the fact that they are going to have to fall behind out of necessity because they just simply don't have the money to pay them. Now, in Ray's particular case, he has 80 grand worth of consumer debt that he wants to pay off in three to five years, and he wants to get the balances reduced. So he wants the creditors to agree to accept less, but take payments over five years. Is that reasonable? Um, in, in certain instances, but you're, he's not going to be able to negotiate that up front. He's not going to be able to go in, miss a payment or two, and then say, okay, give me 50, 60 cents on the dollar payable over three to five years. That doesn't exist. It may in the future. But it doesn't exist with creditors at this point in time. Um, there's ways he can accomplish that goal or potentially accomplish that goal, which would be to um, try to get in on any internal hardship programs that he can now and get the rates lowered now and then uh, maybe use that freed up um, um, cash flow because he's paying maybe 5 6% interest rates versus 20 25% rates um, before he got on the internal hardship program. Use any additional money to either snowball that debt down or – Save that, save that money and set it aside so a year or two down the road he might decide, okay, the hardship program is not working. I don't have the cash flow, but I've got this money saved up. Maybe now I'll go back in, get off the hardship program, and then maybe try to negotiate the principal. So he could accomplish that in steps, 
but as part of an overall plan, um, you know, he's not going to be able to do it in, in one fell swoop with all these creditors up front. So you're walking into a plan like this, and you want to make an aggressive play, and you want to get out of debt as quickly as possible, and you want to get the, the balances reduced. If you've got eighty grand of debt, how much cash do you need on hand in order to settle these, these things like in the next six months? I, I always tell clients to be mentally and financially prepared to pay back at least 50%. And um, sometimes that's high. Sometimes that can be a little bit low. It, there's, it, it depends on a number of factors. Um, mainly depends on who your creditors are and how long it's going to take you to raise the funds. Um, and you also have to account for some inflation or accretion that is, is going to occur on these accounts. If you get behind on your payments, there's no way to stop the interest and the late fees from accruing. So um, that needs to be factored in when you're talking about, oh, I got a settlement for 40 cents on the dollar. Well, that may be true, but six months later when you when it was negotiated, that $10,000 debt may have been $12,000. So you take $12,000 and got a, you know, a, a 40% settlement on $12,000. So you're looking at 4800 bucks, which mm-hmm. is actually really close to 50% of the original $10,000. So I tell clients to figure about 50%. Well, and how many people actually have that money on hand? Not many. Most don't um, unless they realize they're in trouble ahead of time and they, you know, um, uh, for instance, I was on the phone uh, this morning with a gentleman that had, um, you know, access to money in his retirement account. He was already retired um, and he'd taken a huge hit and, you know, in the markets and, you know, his retirement was down about a third of what he had when he started because of those hits and he realized he had a very large amount of debt and he realized that the only way he was going to survive Mm-hmm. was to get this debt off because he was currently drawing down his retirement account every month just to pay the minimum payments. So um, there was reasons why he was not able to file bankruptcy. And so we looked at a, a possible settlement strategy where he could draw the money out of the, uh, out of the 401k and have these knocked out um, fairly quickly. And when we, when we worked it out, we realized it would cost him a lot less money to take it out in one lump sum to kind of stop the bleeding and get this stuff settled versus slowly drain it all out month after month after month, paying minimum payments until he was out of money. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. Sometimes it can make sense, but uh, a lot of times it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to raid the 401k. Oh, yeah. And I always go over the pros and cons of that with clients, and it depends on their financial situation. Um, in fact, the very first thing I suggested to him was bankruptcy because his money was in the 401k. And I said, well, you know, at this point, being at his age, um, I felt capital preservation was much more important than paying off the debt. But then he started to talk about some of the other circumstances that were going on and some of the other things. And he'd already met with three bankruptcy attorneys. Um, and based on those conversations with those attorneys, realized that a bankruptcy was not something he wanted to do unless he had absolutely no other choice. And we went back and forth with, with, with settlement and, and what it was and what it entailed. And unfortunately, he was under the wrong impression because he had talked to several debt settlement companies, which, mm-hmm. of course, don't really teach people what debt settlement is in terms of a concept. They just tell people what they sell. And he was very turned off by what he, in his mind, was debt settlement. But once I under, once I explained, and that's why he didn't know what to do, because he couldn't file bankruptcy. And when he talked to these debt settlement salespeople, and he heard about all the upfront fees and how much, I mean, the guy had quite a bit of debt. We were talking a, a lot of money um, that they wanted in fees. And he just was paralyzed. He just didn't know what to do. Um, and he didn't want to make another mistake. But once I explained to him the concept of debt settlement, you know, put the settlement company aside and let's look at the concept and see if financially that made sense given his goals and his financial circumstances, he had a whole different look of the actual concept 
once you took out these you know sleazeball salespeople just trying to sell them on a program where they were going to pocket you know tens of thousands of dollars in fees. You know, when people run into financial problems, it's not like there is uh, some sort of magical solution. It's it's the problem is that on one hand we see these ads on TV, we hear them on the, the radio, we see them in print about cut your debt in half, uh, make payments you can afford for the next three to five years, life's going to be great, you're not going to get sued, creditors aren't going to come after you. Unfortunately, none of that has anything to do with reality. And when people get into difficult financial problems, there really are only a few basic solutions, uh, starting with spend less than you make in order to help you to get out of debt. It seems like the advice that you need to give people in order to deal with their finances is like 20% of your time and your effort. And 80% is warning people about this scam, this scam, this scam, this scam. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very difficult because when people are looking for help, they tend to look for what they want to hear. And, and if they don't get what they want to hear, they tend to go to the next thing. And a lot of times I... I have, you know, clients struggle with her, call me and I'll look at everything and I'll say, well, look, you know, bankruptcy makes the most sense and here's why, because these other things financially, I don't believe you could even pull them off. I'm looking at your cash flow statement. I'm looking, I'm listening to what you're telling me about, you know, your future employment prospects and, you know, things of this nature. And I really don't think there's a high likelihood of success there. And a lot of times I'll get, well, but this, but this, but this. And then I'll say, well, okay. Again, my job is not to tell you what to do. You're asking me for my advice, and my advice is that's not a good plan. Uh, but they, they tend to like the, – the, a lot of times they'll call me hoping that I'm just going to agree with what they want to do. Yeah. But that's – I don't get paid to tell you what you want to hear. That's what debt settlement salespeople typically do. <laughs> and, and they'll tell you what you want to hear all day long, and they'll do it for free. So, um, you know, so that happens a lot, but you're right. Most of what I do is just helping people – get to the place mentally of understanding the situation that they're in and why a certain thing that I'm recomm recommending does make the most sense. But sometimes I'll recommend something and the client will say, well, I can't do that. And I'll say, well, why not? And then they'll share some additional information that they didn't share before. And then my recommendation could change. Um, but, but that's typically what I'll do is I'll listen to you know the information I'm given, which is all I have to go on. And then I'll make a specific recommendation, and then I'll ask the client how they feel about that. And then we'll go from there. So a lot of times I'm just helping them mentally get to the place where they need to go to where they realize that what, you know, what they need to do. And that's my goal. My goal is not to tell them what to do. My goal is to get them to the place that they need to be to realize what they should be doing. And hopefully that's the same thing that I think. Otherwise, I need to do a little bit more digging until we're on the same page. So what's been on your radar lately? Um, the same stuff as usual, like you mentioned, 80% of the stuff is avoid this scam, avoid this scam, avoid this scam. Um, you know, I just did a, that piece I, I, I wrote on, um, you know, freedom debt relief, um, that I, I put out last week about, you know, they're glorifying this upfront fee structure and essentially creating this <laughs> bullshit argument that, um, somehow, that if, if, if debt settlement companies can't collect all their fees up front, then the, the creditor will, will realize this power shift and force settlement companies to take worse offers because they can't get paid until they have the offer, which is... It just makes it's no sense. Total, it's total BS. It's totally BS. But they're putting this out there as, a, you know, not only are they putting it in press releases, but they're submitting this crap to the FTC, which 
to me, he's like, it's beyond the pale. I mean, to actually send this kind of stuff to regulators that doesn't even make any sense when it's clearly a thinly veiled attempt to try to say, please don't take away our money train, which is what's happening. Yeah, and it was Freedom Debt Relief that submitted that uh, Excel spreadsheet to the Federal Trade Commission showing how the advance fee ban was going to hurt them. But in that spreadsheet, didn't they show that 50% of new clients drop off the program within the first year? Yeah, it was a total I – mean, I mean, I was, I was looking at this thing, and I'm going, should I even waste my time writing about this? Because, I mean, you know – but, yeah, they, they put the spreadsheet together, and – they send it to the FTC, you know, as supporting evidence of, of basically they were claiming that if they had the advanced fee ban passed and they couldn't charge any fees until they reached a settlement, that they would not be able to gain profitability for like seven years or something yeah. ridiculous. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if you can't figure out how to make a profit by helping somebody and providing a legitimate service for seven years, yeah, you shouldn't be maybe, doing. It's a good, maybe it's a good thing you're going out of business. I mean, that's my opinion. But, you know, what they did was they, they, you know, they made all these assumptions that, of course, you know, if you go with their assumptions, then maybe, you know, their math works if you go with their assumptions. But I had the, the first assumption they made was that they're going to enroll 2,000 clients a month. Mm-hmm. Why do you need to enroll 2,000 clients a month, you know, number one? But then... They showed on their own pages, and it was, it was kind of hard to read all, all this stuff because it's kind of thrown up there. It wasn't very logical order to what they were doing. But they were showing, I think, within the first 20 months or so, if I can remember, their attrition rate, I mean, their dropout rate was something like 50%. They were showing that half of the clients they signed up within the first year and a half were going to be drop, were gonna drop out of the program. So if you're going to have a dropout rate that's, that's that high, to me, what that says is, you're enrolling the wrong clients. Absolutely. So I'm sitting here thinking, hey, I just solved your problem, guys. <laughs> Instead of enrolling 2,000 people a month where half of them should not belong in your program, why don't you actually teach your sales guys to identify financial circumstances and only enroll people that need the actual program and then your attrition rate, instead of 50%, might be more like 5 or 10%. And then you wouldn't have to front all this freaking money for people that shouldn't be in your program. And then you can be profitable within a few years. And you'd have a lot less headache because you'd only be working with clients that need your service. I remember so when I we figured, talked about this. And, and uh, one of us had the idea that it was such a great idea that what you should do is you should send a bill to Freedom Debt Relief. <laughs> And charge them fifteen percent of the savings, and make sure that they paid that up front before you allowed them to save any money. <laughs> well, I figured just by by that analysis, which took me I don't know five minutes, I probably saved them twenty million bucks and got them to profitability <laughs> three years sooner. So that's worth a few million dollars, don't you think? I mean, I'm available for consultations, but uh, I'm going to charge more than my normal fee for that. <laughs> you know, it, what I just don't understand is. Uh, why why these companies cannot figure out that if your dropout rate is so big that you're not enrolling the right customers the i mean i know that the reasons behind it is because it serves them they're getting fees before people drop out they're making money etc but it just seems so undefensible well it is I, I you know i wish i could answer that question but i i tend to think about things in a logical way and Logic doesn't explain that thinking. And the, the fact that they would actually submit this stuff 
to the FTC as as proof that this can't pass or they're going to, oh my gosh, have to go seven years without being profitable. When the FTC can then look at the numbers just as I did mm-hmm. and see that they're they're assuming a 50% dropout rate. But what the flip side of that coin is if the if the FTC let them keep their current structure, then half of the people would be paying fees for no services because they're going to drop out. So they're essentially giving the FTC more reasons to continue to, to, to try to pass the law. It doesn't make any sense. They're you know putting their also, own nail in their coffin. What also doesn't make any sense is I ran into another company this week whose uh, debt strategy, their debt relief strategy was, the sales pitch was, uh, you're only going to have to pay back one to ten pennies on the dollar for your debt because essentially what they were going to do was go in and put uh, claims against all of your assets. So there would be nothing there for creditors to go after if they sued you when you stopped paying and that you could just walk away from your debt essentially. Now that 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 fake lien or you know bogus lien thing has been around for years and it seems like it gets discredited every 5 years but here it's back again. Yeah, and, and the reason it does is because, you know, not every one of these cases is going to go to court. And what these guys do is if a case if a case doesn't go to court and let's say a creditor just, you know, doesn't pursue it, which happens all the time. You know, Creditors don't actually sue consumers as often as people actually think they sue consumers. And there, there's, a, there's a reason for that perception. It's in the creditor's best interest to keep, keep it in the public psyche that people are going to get sued if they don't pay their bills. But the reality is creditors typically lose money suing people that don't have the money to pay. So they don't like suing people all the time. But if they never sued anybody, then nobody would pay them if, once they got their credit you know, damaged and they didn't have the money. There wouldn't be that, that much emphasis placed on I got to hurry up and pay this back or I might get sued. They, they have to keep that fear model there. But so how these guys thrive is they point to cases that never went to court as a victory. Mm-hmm. But what they fail to mention is that if you wouldn't have put all these bogus liens on your assets, it probably that might have been the one one of the, you know, probably 80 percent or so that don't go to court anyway. So it's not a victory. It's just they drained four or five thousand dollars from your wallet by providing these these bogus liens and a lot of times that could actually get people in even more trouble. So they pay all this money, they get all these liens. I've had clients that have called me that have had problems because they, you know, years down the road, they've tried to refinance houses and things like that after the debt's been cleared up and they paid some back and the rest went away. And they still got these bogus freaking liens on their house and the company's gone. And now you got some guy that put some lien on your house to protect your assets that you can't even get in touch with to get the lien removed and they have no idea how to do it. Or even if you can, I've seen some of these guys charge three grand in order to remove the lien. Yeah, and the funny thing is, if you go into court and and the yeah, the, law, the attorney for the plaintiff challenged you on that, like who's this? You know, if they go and they get a judgment and then they try to go into to to collect on your assets and they bring you in, um, you know, to depose you or have an interrogatory hearing or whatever to say, okay, where do you work? How much money do you make? What are your assets? They can go in and explore and say, what's this lien? Who's that? What do you you know? They could very easily discredit that stuff as essentially fraud. Mm-hmm. They could probably make a case that you're committing fraud by misrepresenting what that is because you really don't owe. You're in court under oath saying that you owe this person thirty thousand dollars or whatever, which is essentially what a friendly lien is. You're claiming that this guy has a right to your house because you own this money, and if they can show that it's just a sham, 
Well, now you're under oath. What are you going to do? Are you going to lie about it under oath? Or are you going to say, yeah, okay, it's a sham. That's not a real lien. I don't really owe that money. Well, and talking about suing, uh, I've seen, we've written on the getoutofdebt.org site a couple of stories in the past week about how uh, uh, collectors and attorneys are turning more towards automated debt collection software. There was a story about a um, legal firm out of New York, Cohen and Slamowitz, who, <laughs> who had 14 lawyers in this firm. And the law firm files an average of 5,700 debt, debt collection lawsuits per year per attorney. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, the debt collection. Them out. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, yeah, I, I you know, jump up and down about, you know, debt settlement companies all the time. But there's just as much and probably a lot more fraud and abuse on the other side of the coin um, from the debt collectors. And, you know, the consumers in the middle between the creditor, the debt collector, these uh, scam ripoff programs. Most of the time, the consumers don't even have a chance to get you know legitimate help on, on what they should do. Everywhere they turn, somebody's just trying to 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 extract money from them. You know, almost the the one person that you can count on giving you some sort of regulated answer that you can most likely believe is going to be the original creditor, because when that account gets sold off to a debt buyer or a collection agency and it's sold and sold and sold again, there is no telling what the truth is on that account. Who knows what the balance really is? Who knows who actually owns it? That's that's true. But, I mean, even the original creditor, they're not in business to help you. They're in business to get their money back. And there's plenty of times where the original creditor absolutely won't tell you the truth. Uh, you know, they'll tell you things like, oh, this is going to go to pre-litigation unless you pay us X amount of dollars today. I mean, that's a, my favorite. I mean, they use pre-litigation a lot. And what the hell is pre-litigation? Oh, Isn't that, that anything before litigation? <laughs> You know, it's pre. Everybody's in pre-litigation, right? <laughs> but but they'll say things because you know they're there to do their job, and the person that's calling from the original credit or internal collections or whatever it is, they're there to 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 get money from you as well. And sometimes you know they're not going to be in my in, in in my observations, they're not as abusive as you know third parties and things like that. Yeah. But they're certainly not. Not on the up and up if they don't have to be, if it gives them an advantage. I've, I've heard them tell client their consumers, oh, we don't ever settle. We don't do that. We, don't, you know, we can't do anything about your 25% interest rate. And then the client, out of necessity or on purpose, misses a payment. All of a sudden, they're getting a call. Oh, we've got this 5% rate hardship program. Well, where was that last month when I called? And sometimes they'll even tell you, well, you know, Mr. Smith, you were current last month. Mm -hmm. So, well, it wasn't available to you then. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't even know what's on my radar until tomorrow. Uh, it's just been so hectic. But I know there's probably going to be more stuff coming through about this, uh, the Federal Trade Commission uh, telemarketing sales rules coming soon. And I don't think there's going to be anything right away on the Debt Settlement Consumer Protection Act. But it's going to be interesting once this uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau starts to pick up some steam to see more about what they're going to actually do to protect consumers and who actually gets appointed to run the thing. Yeah. And and you know going back to you know the 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 attorney model, you know, just from a consumer standpoint, when you're on the phone, you're listening to these sales guys, that's a very popular pitch. Oh, we've got attorneys in all these different states and don't you want an attorney? And it just sounds good because that's what people want. But now you should have a little bit better understanding of why are all these companies moving towards an attorney model? It's because most of them that are doing that 
are thinking that they can cons- they can still continue to rip off consumers with front-loaded fees by saying they have attorneys. So when they start pitching about how great we are because we have an attorney model, that should be an actual red flag that should let you think of, okay, let me see the contract. And they usually don't like to give you the contract you know, until the very end, but that's really what you want. Let me see the contract. Let me see the fees. And if they charge their fees in a, in a way that's not spread out over the entire program or, or, and or based on performance – you really don't need to know anything else about the company. It's not likely to end well. It's likely to end with you broker than you were and in more debt than you were before you signed up. Yeah, here's a good case that just came out today. The uh, attorney general in Vermont w- actually went after a debt settlement law firm. Uh, the the Mosler Law Firm or Mosler, Mosler Law Firm in uh, Indiana who apparently had enrolled 51 Vermont consumers. It wasn't that many, but it's not a big state. And uh, the state went after them, even though they were an attorney law firm who was doing debt settlement. They ended up settling with the state, refunding $79,500 in fees paid by Vermonters and paying a $60,000 civil penalty to the state. So just because they were a law firm. and, And when we're talking about attorneys and law firms handling debt settlement. Let's use the Indiana example. So I'm somebody who lives in Vermont, and I hire this debt settlement firm uh, in Indiana. If that attorney is not licensed to practice law in Indiana, then there's nothing that they can do to represent me in court. Well, yeah, and and what the sales guys typically won't tell you, even though they're slobbering all over the fact that they have attorneys, but when you look at the contract, you'll typically find uh-huh. that it says very clearly or sometimes not so clearly on the contract that it's not a contract for legal representation. They're specifically only contracting for debt settlement services. And if you do end up in court, that you, you're either going to have to pay more money to get representation or you're going to have to hire an attorney to represent you. But you don't even you don't even need that because if you owe the money, you owe the money. So there's really no point to hire an attorney because all an attorney is going to try to do is go in there and settle the debt. So why pay a, an attorney a, a fee? So, so they're just using it as a, essentially a ploy to make you feel better about spending you know, 15% of your debt up front because it gives you the illusion of security that, oh, I'm, being, you know, I'm retaining these attorneys when you're absolutely not. Yeah, and even if they do have – what I'm seeing are these – they proclaim them to be these attorney networks. And when you look at the network, there's only like one attorney in each state. And if that attorney lives or, or practices you know, more than 30 minutes from where you live, that attorney is most likely not going to show up in court to defend you. And even if they did, what are they going to say? They don't have an actual defense. There's no defense to the money. What they're going to try to do is settle. And you don't have to have an attorney to try to settle an account. The reason why you know a lot of these accounts, people get sued on these accounts is because of the actions that these law firms or these other debt settlement companies take, which is to send out these cease communication letters, piss off the creditor, and lo and behold, six, eight, nine months later, you might have a lawsuit, whereas if you didn't send anything to the creditor, you might not. Yeah, in the past couple of weeks, NCO Financial, NCO Group, a large debt collection company, said that under the guidance of their clients, which are large creditors, that if a consumer informs them that they are in a debt settlement company, that case is supposed to be referred immediately to litigation for uh, suit. So Yeah, so here, here you have a situation where you, you're paying these guys to make it worse. 
And you're not paying them, you know, a little bit of money either. You're paying them thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, and then by the time it, it, it goes to a lawsuit, you've got no money to try to settle it, even if the attorney is willing, uh, the attorney for the plaintiff, the creditor, is willing to settle it because for the first six or 12 months, you've been paying all these fees in this front-loaded debt settlement program. And like when you look at the case of Mossler, okay, so that's great. The, the, the attorney general stepped in. They socked it to him. They got you know full refunds for, 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 for all these clients. So that's great. But now say you were a client of yeah. Mossler yeah, for a year. Yeah, you're yeah, now you're a year behind on all your debt. Everything's been charged off. Um, now you're back to square one. Your debt's increased 10%, 20%. That's great. You got your money back. But now where are you at? You're hey. certainly a lot worse off than you would have been had you gotten better information and had better, you know, received better advice a, a year ago pr- prior to signing up for this Mossler law firm. You might have actually been able to take those that money and actually put it to um, you know, a more appropriate use than paying these guys all their fees for essentially doing nothing. Yeah, m- many of these 51 Vermonters are getting refunds are going to be, I can't think of a better way to put it, they're going to be in the shit. So, uh, you know. Yeah, they're, they're going to be using the money to pay a bankruptcy. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Something they probably should have done to begin with. Possibly. But if you go to a debt settlement salesman, you're not going to find out whether you should or you shouldn't. He's going to say, we got the best program available. Let me tell you why. You know, a lot of people think that when they go to their bank, their banker is there to give them good, sound, independent financial advice. And the reality is the banker is there to sell you financial products. And it's the same thing that you should expect when you contact a debt settlement company or a credit counseling company or any other single source solution provider. They're there to sell you their product. And that's why I always tell people, look, if you're having a financial problem and you want to investigate a solution, don't investigate just one Talk to a bankruptcy attorney. If you want to talk to a debt settlement company, you know, on your own risk, talk to a credit counseling group. And then once you listen to all the different points of view, you are more in a position to make a good, informed, educated decision about what is right for you. Yeah. And in, in the hard part with that, though, too, that's great advice. And that's what I tell all my clients. But absent an understanding of all of the different strategies, let's say you have a, a typical consumer that hasn't heard of a lot of this stuff before until they got in trouble, and they go talk to a bankruptcy attorney, then they talk to some debt settlement salespeople, and they talk to some credit counselors. More often than not, all they're going to be is more confused after doing that because the salespeople and all those bankruptcy attorneys sometimes included have all maybe said, well, their solution is the best. So now you have a consumer that doesn't really have a background in this that's talking to look, doing their due diligence, doing their research, and now they're more confused than ever because now everybody's telling them that their solution is the best, and they still don't know what to do. Well, that is that can be true, that's for sure. But the only one solution that's out there that has any legal protection for consumers is bankruptcy. You know, debt settlement isn't going to keep you from getting sued. Credit counseling isn't going to keep you from getting sued. Uh, there's only one debt relief option that has any power of law behind it and that's bankruptcy and that's that's why i refer a lot of people to bankruptcy and talk to an attorney and talk about your specific situation because i need for them to understand how the law is going to protect them yeah and and i always tell my clients i always encourage them to at least meet with one or two bankruptcy attorneys and i explain you know some attorneys are good some attorneys are gonna you know they 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 get paid for doing um you know uh, bankruptcy and even if they're not doing it on purpose, they tend to look at things through that bankruptcy filter where when a client comes through the door, they tend to think, okay, well, which they're thinking which chapter not does this make sense or not. <laughs> and, and other attorneys don't do that. But what I always tell clients, it doesn't hurt to meet, meet with a bankruptcy attorney or two first 
and just sit down and, and say, you know, how, you know, what, what could I qualify for? How is it going to look? How is it going to affect me? And, and just get a good overview of what it would be like if you did file, because that would give you a good foundation to know, to know exactly what's available for you. And then from there, I, you're going to come out of that meeting with one, one of two perspectives. The first perspective is you're going to come out and you're going to say, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I ever heard. There's no way in, on God's green earth I'm ever going to go down that road because of this, this, and this, and how this is going to, or whatever it is, you might come out of there with absolute resolve to do whatever you can to avoid that if possible. And then you could look at some of these other solutions you know, through that filter. Or you might come out of that meeting and say, you know what? That is not nearly as bad as I had built up in my mind. I thought it was going to be much worse. Now when I'm looking at these other solutions, financially at least the bankruptcy actually looks like uh, the more prudent way to go. And I'm glad I've actually discovered it and, and researched it because I thought – you know, I was going to lose my house and lose my car and lose everything. And in many cases, that's not actually the case. Well, another joyous week. Some Sometime we've got to figure out how to do this where it's nothing but jokes, you know, and, <laughs> and we just laugh so hard through the whole show that at the end of it, we're just bent over and we have a headache and uh, we've got to find some humor in this stuff somewhere. Well, well, that would be fun, but I'd be afraid we'd lose all our readers on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, listeners, listeners. I know, that was my joke, Steve. See, we're going to lose them all. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> okay. See, well, you know my what? partner didn't even get my joke. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I've uh, like wrapped up the show, and I've, I've had a really lousy ending to the show. My ta-ta is not going to cut it anymore. So <laughs> this week, I'm going to let you wrap up the show. Oh, great. Well, we could have given me a, a heads up on that. Okay. Here it is. You wrap up the show this week. <laughs> How about I wrap up the show next week, and then I can spend about four hours trying to figure out what I'm going to say, and it'll probably come out something as stupid as ta-ta. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have to go back to the old standby then. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Damon Day and Steve Road giving you more help this week. And uh, you can find me, Steve Road, at getoutofdebt.org. You can find Damon Day at DamonDay.com. And uh, we'll see you next week. And are you ready for it, Damon? I'm always ready, Steve. Ta-ta. <laughs> Keep your head down. <laughs> You've been listening to the Get Out of Debt podcast with Steve Rode. If you'd like to avoid get-out-of-debt scams, learn how not to be a victim from debt relief offers, get free help for any debt problem, or if you have a question you want to ask, just visit getoutofdebt.org. And while you're on getoutofdebt.org, you can subscribe to the free daily feed for all the latest help and information. 